All right, well, I would encourage you to keep Jonah 2 open as we work our way through this series in Jonah, the mystery of God's mercy. A little girl one day was in class and it was kind of time to draw things and, and uh, she was drawing a picture of Jonah inside the whale. And as the teacher walked around, uh, she came across this little girl and she said, well, what is that that you're drawing? And the girl explained, she said, oh, I'm drawing Jonah inside the belly of the giant whale. And the teacher immediately said, oh, you know, that's not real, don't you? You know, it's, it's, you know sure, whales have big mouths, but it's impossible for a human being to, to pass through their, their neck. Well, the little girl just kind of kept on drawing and she said, oh, well, I'll ask him about it when I get to heaven. <laughs> the teacher, a little bit irritated, having expressed her belief, but also scientific fact, sarcastically said, well, what if he went to hell instead? Well, the little girl kept drawing and quite sweetly said, well, then you can ask him. <laughs> People have these kind of different responses, don't they, to this story. For some, it's believable. For some, it's unbelievable. We're going to see a a similar sort of response today uh, in response to God's mercy. Uh, Is it believable? Is it unbelievable? Is it something you run to or is it something you run from? And we actually see today that Jonah is running from mercy. It's what he's doing in chapter 2. Now, it shouldn't surprise us too much given chapter 1. Last week we started chapter 1 where Jonah was running from God. Uh, God had said to him, uh, I want you to go and share this message of warning about a judgment to come, but it had this implied mercy available that if they turn, God would be merciful to them. And so what has Jonah done? He's gone, I don't want to be a part of that. No way. Gets in a boat and he runs away. Because he wanted God to do it his way. In fact, deep in his heart, he wanted a very different God. You see, when mercy, God's mercy is a mystery, we won't repent. That's the big truth from God's word today, Jonah 2. When God's mercy is a mystery, we won't repent. We won't turn back to him. And as I said last week, the book of Jonah, unlike all the other prophetic books, which is about the prophet's message, this one is about the prophet. He is a mirror to our souls. Firstly, to Israel. God is speaking to his people, Israel, who are just like Jonah. And so they are meant to kind of Jonah is this mirror. How are you being like him? But it's also for us. Last week we asked, how are we like Jonah? Well, let's pray uh, as we hear from God's word again today. Lord, you are rich in mercy. And because of your great love for us, you made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our sins. So teach our hearts and minds today that it is by your grace and mercy alone that we are saved. Holy Spirit, help us to understand the mystery of your mercy 
more deeply than ever before today. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So we're seeing Jonah running from mercy, and we're really going to look at this in two ways. Firstly, we're going to look at kind of what is mercy. We're going to understand mercy from this passage. And then the next thing we're going to see is that mercy remains a mystery. So let's have a look at this. Jonah 2, and we'll see God's ridiculous mercy to us. Jonah is very famous for being swallowed by a fish or a whale, whatever you want to call it. Uh, many people have no clue about the rest of the story. So it's really good for us to actually be going, what actually did take place when he was inside the fish? But let's just stop and think about it for a moment, how he got there. He's been thrown overboard by a bunch of sailors. Immediately the storm is stilled. And that exact place in the whole of an ocean, at that exact Time when Jonah hits the water, the 11 o'clock whale swings by. No way. It, it, this is all by God's timing that actually at that moment, even the whale opened its mouth. And that's exactly what chapter 1 verse 17 tells us. It says, the Lord provided. Or if you went to say an ESV translation, it would say, the Lord appointed. God has directed that whale. To be right there. And it's worth asking the question, why did God send this giant fish? Of all the different things he could have sent, a fish? Now, I'm going to come back to that answer in a second. Because it's, sorry, answer that question shortly. But it's a key question for us. But before we answer it, we need to remember, here is Jonah who has rejected God's call upon his life. Go there, nah, and he's rebelled. He has run in the exact opposite direction. Basically, he's saying, I want no part in sharing your message of coming judgment as a warning and the possibility that you will bring mercy to my enemies, the Ninevites. No part to the point where, as we saw last week, he would rather die On that ship, as it was in the midst of this crazy storm, he could have fallen to his knees and confessed his sin and turned from it. But no, I'll save your life, sailors, but I'd rather lose mine. He's running from God because he wants a different God. And how does God respond? Verse 17 of chapter 1. But... The Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. That's God's mercy. Despite all Jonah has done, God didn't give him the death, the punishment that he absolutely deserved. That's mercy. And I've no doubt that Jonah, when he was kind of in the belly, is very surprised that this has happened to him. He wasn't thinking, it'll be all right. By the time I get over there, God will put a a giant fish. No way. Now, there's even the possibility, I think, that Jonah's sitting there disappointed because that's not what he wanted. But who knows? Maybe we'll have to ask him in heaven. Now, God in mercy then takes Jonah down, down deep. Takes him to the very bottom. 
We read that in verse 5 and 6. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth barred me in forever. See, remember, he doesn't know how this is going to turn out. There's no reason for think that anything, but this is now his grave. He is at that point of facing death, at his lowest time. And, and so often, that's what we need. That's what people need in order to see their very need of God and to see God's mercy. I'd be surprised if many of us don't know, a Christian, or maybe even that happened to us, that God has taken us down to that low point to truly see him and hold out a hand to him and receive his mercy. But that's not where it ends. Have a look at the rest of verse 6. But... You brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. He's gone to the bottom and then God in his mercy has brought him up from the pit of death. And this is where we come into why a giant fish. A couple of weeks ago when I was getting ready for the series, uh, I was down at the cafe that I go to getting coffee and I was chatting to the guy who owns the place and he saw a book that had Jonah on the front. He said, oh, what, what is that about? What are you getting into there? And I said, oh, I'm preparing to preach. And he goes, oh, isn't that the one about Pinocchio? He had a bit of a smile on his face. But he's right, isn't he? It, it, you know, where does Pinocchio and Geppetto come from? What's this idea of how fantastical and, and the fairy tale of someone living in the whale, even for three days? So why did God do this? There's two reasons. The first one is this, that it's to show quite clearly that it's only by God's mercy that Jonah is saved. Jonah cannot claim any part in him being saved at this point in time. He's not going to eventually later on be sitting around sharing with everybody, oh, look, God did this, but but really it was me. I I treaded water long enough. Or there was a bit of wood floating around and and I hung on. He's certainly not going to be able to say, oh, like Dory the fish, I can speak whale. He's got no part in this. That's the first thing of why a giant fish. Because there's no way he can control that. But the second thing is to show just how ridiculous is God's mercy beyond our wildest dreams and imagining is to prepare us for something even more unbelievable. And that's what Jesus spoke about when he said that Jonah was a sign. It's to prepare us that for this unbelievable truth that the Son of God would give up his throne in heaven to be laid in a wooden uh, cradle as a man and then be hoisted onto a wooden cross to die for people just like Jonah who reject God and rebel against him. But then, even more unbelievably, 
that after three days he would rise from the dead. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, Jesus says, Well, just as Jonah was in the stomach of a sea creature for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man, that's me, will be in the heart of the earth, death, for three days and three nights, and then rise. Jonah prepares us for that. He is proof, not only that we're, not, we're only saved by God's mercy, because we can't beat death, but also that Jesus has, and that Jesus offers us eternal life because he was dead for three days and then he rose from the dead. What a glorious vomit it is when Jonah is thrown out on the beach. In that moment, it points us to this one day when Jesus would be born again, sorry, rise from the dead and we would have life through him. That's just how ridiculous God's mercy is to us. As Jonah declares in verse 9, salvation comes from the Lord. At that deepest depth, this is the truth that he cannot deny. This is what Peter, at the beginning of his letter in the New Testament, says, verse 3, chapter 1, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. That's ridiculous mercy. I hope, like me, you can see just how wonderful, how magnificent, how amazing, how beautiful and ridiculous this mercy is and it stirs your heart, your very soul to thanks and praise. Because if we don't, then mercy remains a mystery. God's mercy will remain a mystery to us. And and I strongly believe that chapter 2 really is a warning. A warning to God's people then and us. That mirror to our soul. Finally, Jonah starts speaking to God. Only took three days in the belly of a fish. I mean, think about it. If he'd said this stuff early on... It would have been quicker. But he holds out. How hard is this guy's heart for three days? God's mercy is going to bring about change in Jonah. But I think God's mercy is still a mystery to him. Because he doesn't repent. If you read through chapter 2, at first kind of glance, it, it seems really good. It seems like maybe Jonah's got it. But if you look again, you see that he actually doesn't turn back to God, trusting him completely in his heart. Yes, he's got the words. But actually, all of them are quotes from the Psalms. None of them are his own words. Now, you know I'm a big fan of praying through the Bible. Don't get me wrong. But I think what we 
actually really see here is he's like a child telling the parent what he thinks the parent wants to hear. Let me show you why I think that. Firstly, the prayer is more about the one being saved, Jonah, than it is about the one doing the saving. Look at verse 2. He said, In my distress I I called to the Lord. I did this. Then verse 7, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. And throughout it, he's saying, then I will do this. It's actually almost like, if you read it, Jonah's rewriting the whole event, particularly that first half. We're told in verse 17 that as soon as he hits, God appointed the whale. But then you start reading, no, 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 it's Jonah suddenly been praying, either somehow talking out loud underwater or just praying in his mind. But boy, what a prayer. Suddenly he's all into it. And then God responds and saves him. That's not what we saw in chapter one. You know what? Jonah never admits his disobedience. He never owns it. He never confesses his sin in chapter two. He doesn't grasp God's mercy. In fact, I think he's still trying to claim his part in his salvation. There's almost an expectation that he deserves it. And that's exactly where Israel was at at that time. Oh God, you should save us. You should show us this mercy. And we've got a bit of a part to play. But probably the most telling thing in this uh, chapter 2 is verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Jonah's saying the truth. He's quoting from God's word. But I think what we're actually seeing is that Jonah still thinks that he's the one who can tell God who he should and shouldn't show mercy to. The thing is, Jonah is the one with an idol of a God. Jonah is the one who, when confronted with the true God, a God of judgment and mercy, goes, no, no, no. I want a different God and I'm running to him. He's the one with the idol. He's the one at risk of forfeiting God's grace and mercy. The sad irony is that he then goes on to promise. Oh, I'm going to give thanksgiving. I'm going to offer the sacrifices and make vows But we know from chapter 1 that the sailors who were converted have already done that. They've already seen, yes, God is a God that I deserve his judgment, but God have mercy on me. They've repented, they've turned back, and when God did that and he saved them, they immediately performed sacrifices and made their vows. These are the ones that Jonah would say, no, 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 you shouldn't be gracious and merciful to them, God. Well, Jonah is very happy to receive mercy. But I don't think he's still willing to share it. Well, that's going to come next week. But as we look at this passage and we we see Jonah's heart, it reminds me of a story that Jesus told about two men who went to the temple in Jerusalem. The crowd that Jesus is speaking to is Pharisees. 
that people just like Jonah, just like Israel in Jonah's day, who think they're in control, who think they're good enough. And this is what Jesus tells them. He says, two men came into the temple. One was a Pharisee. And he fronts up to the front of the temple and he says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like that tax collector over there. Can you imagine doing that in church? One of somebody stands up and says, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. God, I'm so good, and, but I'm not like that person. <laughs> anyway, Jesus continues with the stories and he says, but the tax collector stood at a distance. You might know that tax collectors, mate, they are sort of the social uh, outcasts. They are hated by so many people. And here is this tax collector. He stands at the back. He won't come to the front. In fact, Jesus says he won't even look up to heaven. But he beats his breast like someone grieving death. He is so grieved by his sin and guilt before God. And he says, God. Have mercy on me, a sinner. He understands mercy. He understands who God is, that he only deserves judgment because of his sin. He understands that, yes, he is a sinner. He is one who's rejected God and rebelled against him and that all he can do is throw himself on God's mercy. But he understands that he is a God of mercy. That's why he's there. And so Jesus says, I tell you that this man went home declared not guilty by God, not the Pharisee. Would have horrified the people, the Pharisees listening that day. And it's exactly the same thing that's going on here with Jonah. He has not come like the tax collector. In fact, the only way to receive mercy is that we must accept three truths. Three key truths. First one, I don't deserve it. That's so hard in our culture because our culture sort of says you deserve everything that you want and no one can say you don't deserve something. But it's true, and we've got to accept it. I don't deserve God's mercy. Second truth, I can't save myself. Another really hard thing for people to accept in our culture. What do you mean I can't do this? I can do anything. Live your truth. Believe in yourself. That's the mantra of our world. But when God takes us to the bottom and we see our need, that's when we understand I can't save myself. And the third truth is that this mercy isn't cheap. God's mercy cost his most precious son, cost him his life as he took our place, he took our death. God wants Israel back then and he wants us to learn from Jonah Don't be like Jonah fooling himself that he's fooling God with these words. He is not fooled. It's not just an outward display, but what has to come from the heart, this belief, this 
willingness to recognise I don't deserve it, I can't save myself and it isn't cheap. Otherwise God's mercy remains a mystery and like Jonah we won't repent and we won't be saved. And so the key question for every single one of us this morning is are you running from God's mercy? Are you running from it? God is saying to you today, stop running. Stop running and receive it. You know, it is very possible to have been coming to church here at Harbour Church or other churches for years, singing the songs, praying the prayers, reading the Bible, preaching, whatever it is. And be running from God's mercy. Because you've never repented. Not really. Maybe you've got the right words like Jonah. God is saying, stop running. And I want to encourage you today, if that's you, then consider stopping. Pray about that, talk about that. After the service today, uh, I'm going to be over there with Cass at, at some chairs. And if that's something that you want to pray about and talk through with someone, that's where we're going to be. You can do that then. Or during this week, contact me or someone that you know and trust and talk to them about the fact that you know you need to stop running and you're ready to receive God's mercy. Many of us have received... Uh, God's ridiculous mercy. And I hope today that as we were reminded, what is that mercy? It's filled your heart with joy and thanks and praise to him. And the best encouragement that I think this passage gives to us is keep repenting. Keep coming daily to confess your sins because that's the best way to prevent ending up running from God's mercy. Prevention is far better than the cure. Keep repenting, keep confessing. We're going to have a time now for each of us to pray, to come before God, wherever you're at, whether you're running or whether you've received it. A time to pray. And as I said, at the end of the service, you're more than welcome to come and chat and pray with us. I encourage you now to take this time to pray.